What about you? Who do you say I am? Good morning, Impact. That's kind of an important question, isn't it? Who are you as far as Jesus Christ? And, you know, everything that we do in life is impacted about what we really believe. Believe it or not, about God. What we believe about a lot of things. I'll give you an, an easy example. Uh, any Panthers fans here? That's a great example. It went real good because only five of you will even admit it. Are the rest of you not Panthers fans? Well, what happens when, you, when a team is doing good? If, I were, if, the, if the Panthers won the Super Bowl last year, and I asked that question, every single hand in here pretty much would go up. Maybe five or six wouldn't, but most of them would. And if year after year after year they're losing, then what happens? If you go to a game at all, you wear a bag over your head, right? And you want anybody to know, I mean, you're kind of ashamed. It determines how you act. And I was sitting back there, <clears throat> standing back there during worship and watching you all and, and watching the differences in how people worship, some with their hands up and some clearly singing straight out to God, some watching their iPhones, and it wasn't Scripture they had on there. You know who you are. And uh, some people completely engaged, some people sort of confused, and, and all across the board. And it's kind of indicting, but I'm going to tell you, the reason you worship like you do has a lot to do with who you really think Jesus is. And that can be pretty indicting because maybe you don't know. And listen, if you don't know who he is or if you have a confusing idea of who he is, then can you... Now, I'm going to ask you this question, and it's rhetorical. Don't answer. Just think about this. Can you really know Jesus if you aren't sure who he is? Now, I'm going to throw that out there, and we're going to come back to that because that can't possibly be answered. I'm not even going to try to answer all of that in one sermon. But I want you to know that Luke, this gospel of the four that's written mainly to Gentiles... Uh, takes the whole first nine or ten chapters to sort of build a foundation about who Jesus really was, to clear up the misnomers before it goes on with the rest of the book, because it's worthless to go on with the rest of the book if you've got the wrong idea about who Jesus is. So we're going to continue to build that foundation today. All right, so let's pray again, and let's get started building this foundation for who is the real Jesus. Father, thank you today. Thank you so many people came out, Lord. Uh, after so many years of preaching, I know that Fourth of July comes, and it's a ghost town, Lord, but Father, there's just a, a feeling and, a, and a, an excitement that's building and a passion for what you want to do that's different uh, in this church, in Impact Church. Lord, we're named after what we really want to do, make an impact in this world for you. Uh, Lord, when we're long gone, we hope the generations after us will really leave a dent um, in people's lives in a good way that looks like you. Brand the name of Jesus on everyone, that it changes and transforms them. And Lord, that can't happen, Father. That cannot start if we don't understand who you are. And Father, in our humanness, we're bound to get some things wrong. And I, I thank you, Lord, and, and praise you that you're understanding in that, Lord. But we can't get it all wrong. There are cults out there. There are angels of light that you call demons in your word, and they try to look like you, and they try to counterfeit. And if we follow them, we'll follow them all the way off a cliff. We'll follow them to the gates of hell. Lord, and so help us to build a foundation, not only that we may know and commune and get to know you better for who you really are, but that we can faithfully tell others about you because we've met you and know you. So please speak to us in our hearts, open the eyes of our hearts, the ears of our hearts, make us more like you as we leave today than when we came in, in Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter 4. Gang, uh, I think this is the fifth or sixth message in Luke chapter 4, so I calculated it out. We will definitely be done. I can say with confidence we will be done with Luke in a couple of years. Easy at the rate that we're going. It's looking, unless I speed it up here a little bit and quit mining the depths here, it's going to be about 80 messages to get through this, but uh, I hope you don't mind because it's a fantastic, fantastic book. 
Um, gang, I'm amazed at how much, I, I'm, I love to study little, little facts that, little interesting trivia kind of things. I'm amazed at how God made the human body in this way. It's, it, it's made not to be messed with. It's made to be left alone. It's made to function perfectly. In fact, in the garden, everything was perfect and it functioned perfectly. But even after the fall, it, it's not really made to be messed with. And it's funny, when science thinks they figure things out and we try and tweak the body and do things to make it better, there always seems to be a catch. Have you noticed that? I mean, we've had food throughout the last 100 years that we've discovered how to make food cheaper, how to process things, and how to make them last with chemicals and pesticides and all that. And and to make them shiny and bright in the grocery store, but then you eat them and it shortens your lifespan and it does all kinds of internal damage. So that's the bad things that happen. But did you notice that even when good things happen to the human body, the human body is not made to be messed with? For instance, if somebody has two failing kidneys, obviously something's gone wrong. And science has figured out a way to do kidney transplants. So you can get a good, healthy kidney and you can put it in that unhealthy body that doesn't have any kidneys that are functioning. And what does our body do right away with that good, healthy kidney? A battle starts, right? And the battle is it doesn't understand it. It seems foreign. It doesn't seem to belong. And there's a period of time called, you know, where there's a possibility of rejection, right? And if you don't overcome that and your body rejects it, then you're still going to be as sick as before, even though it's something good for you. Isn't that bizarre? So... If we stop doing something harmful, this kind of works on the opposite too, like heroin. Hopefully, I've, I've got something that none of you are doing. Notice how the body has issues with that. You stop doing something harmful, and what happens to your body? It pushes back, doesn't it? Don't act like you don't know what happens when you start, stop doing something. Like that. If you stop doing heroin, you've been doing heroin for years, you go through withdrawals. And some people say it's the most painful, hideous thing you could possibly go through. You're hospitalized for it. You're shaking. You can't even focus. It's withdrawals. Even though you're taking something out of your body, that's horrible for it. Our bodies have a hard time messing with things, change, or things they don't understand. Now listen, I say all this because sin is the same way. Sin does a whole host of bizarre things to mankind. And they're all bad, but some of them look good up front. For one, it seems to make us predisposed to reject all that is good and embrace everything that's bad. That's what sin does. It makes you want to do things bad. It makes you want to do things that on the surface, you know, will kill you. It makes things look beautiful and good that, you know, if you hold on to it too long, it'll burn you and it'll cause pain. And so we'll want to do this even when it makes absolutely no logical sense to do that because of sin, because of what it does to our thinking. Take the coming of the long-awaited Messiah. Over 300 prophecies in what we call the Old Testament, what the Jews call the Torah. They're not cryptic. They're not nebulous. They're not hard to understand. They may be hard to believe. For one, it said that when the Messiah comes, he'll be born of a virgin. That's not hard to understand, is it? I mean, don't sit there and go, what is that? What's a virgin? If that's tough, I feel sorry for you. But if you understand what that, I mean, it's easy to understand. It's just a miracle. But if you know that about the coming Messiah, then you're looking for that kind of birth. Easy. 300 prophecies like that. And here Jesus comes on the scene with a far greater rescue plan than anybody could have ever imagined, although they should have, because the rescue plan the Messiah was going to bring is right here in Scripture. Only it turns out it's 
better than they imagined. It's not a temporary rescue plan. Jesus didn't come to temporarily rescue them, His people, physically from the Roman government for just their lifetime. He came with a rescue plan for all eternity to rescue them from a culprit that was far more dangerous than the Romans and then the oppressors. He came to rescue us from sin, and yet we reject it. We reject it because we love our sin. Now, I think most of us can understand the occasional trade-off of something good for something that's great. Maybe you think that something that's great is just a little bit too much work. And so you look at something that's good and you go, you know what, I'm okay not making this much money. I'm okay making a little bit less because it's just too much work. I mean, it's a great amount of money, but it's too much work. So occasionally we might make decisions where you trade great for good. Sometimes good seems worth it when we count the cost. That just costs too much to go for what's really great here. But bad, watch this, gang, harmful, dangerous. Why would anybody trade a cure or relief or healing, especially if they've been in pain for a long time, and, and, and joy, things like that? Why would they trade that for danger and pain and poison and potential and then ultimately certain death? That's just a crazy, nutty trade-off, isn't it? And millions of people do it every day. Now, how good must sin look for you to do that crazy of a trade-off? How good must it be painted for you to do something that foolish, for me to do something that foolish? Because, friends, Satan's been at this a long time, trying to get you to deny God and follow Him instead. He's been at this for a long time. You're not so slick. He doesn't look at you and go, hmm, Russ, I've never had anybody like Russ. Russ is tough. Russ is sharper than your average ache. Man, he's, I don't know, I'm going to have to write a new book to get at Russ. I mean, Russ is pretty sharp, but he's using the same tricks over and over again for 2,000 years. Doesn't have a great big playbook. In fact, if you were with us in the last several weeks, we spent three weeks on the temptations that Jesus went through in the 40 days and 40 nights. The same temptations common, Scripture says, to you and I. Same playbook, it might look a little different, but the same playbook, over and over and over again, and we buy it. And we'll trade the great life that Jesus came to, to bring. It's kind of like we fight over crumbs and undermine one another in order to get everything that we feel we deserve in life. Because sin tells you it's all about you, and you deserve something, and you ought to be like God. Remember the first temptation in the garden? Remember what happened? I mean, Satan said, sure, the paradise is great. I'm going to paraphrase here a little bit. But there's something even better behind door number one. And if you look there, God's holding out on you. Sure, this looks good, but there's something great behind there. You'll be God and create your own worlds. You can set your own rules. There's this thing called the knowledge of good and evil. And until you eat of this fruit, you won't know that. So God's holding out on you. God's not great. He's good, but He's not great. You want something great, you go, and we buy that garbage. And we buy that garbage, and we push, and we pull, and we demand our own way based on what we mistakenly feel will make us happy because we mistakenly feel like being happy is what life is all about. And then in the end, we discover we were fighting over the wrong stuff. Now, get this. We don't deserve grace and mercy. We don't deserve it. Now, in, in ministry, uh, probably every few weeks I've done this, I'll give the definition of grace. And that's getting something that you don't deserve. 
Grace is good. Getting something good, something great that you could never earn, that you in no way deserve, that's grace. And somehow we start thinking, I'm worth it. I deserve this. Like God's salvation. Jesus didn't have to die, or maybe He died for me because I'm His best creation. I'm all of that. I'm worth it. I deserve this. And there you've bought a lie right there. So that's grace. Then there's this other thing, the opposite of grace pretty much, which sounds the same, but it's really the other end of the spectrum. It's mercy. A mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Does that sound similar? They're very, very different. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. You deserve hell. When we sinned and we rebelled, that's what we deserve. The uh, wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. We act like we work for that. That's the payment. That's what we get. And yet not getting it is the gift of God. So we don't deserve heaven either. We deserve punishment. But imagine how confused a life can be lived if we believe just the opposite of what I just said. I deserve heaven. I don't deserve hell. And what logic is normally given when somebody says, I don't deserve hell? Based on what? Let's use Russ again, okay, because he's easy. He's easy to spot, big guy. Well, maybe I will use this logic. Maybe I'll look at him and I will say, um, well, I don't deserve to go to hell because I'm better than him. I'm better than him. And here's Jennifer sitting back here. Where'd you go? There she is. And she'll say, yeah, that probably works with Russ. But it won't work with me, Pastor Rob. We might have the same birthday, right? Don't we have the same birthday? But she's thinking secretly, but I'm better than you, Pastor Rob. And so I don't deserve it because at least I'm better. You know, we can play that game around this whole congregation. We can look at each other, and I guarantee you can find somebody in here that you think you're better than. And you can find somebody in here that's worse than you, and you can go around and you can play that game, and you can push people down and lift yourself up, but it has nothing to do with that. And imagine how confused life would be if we live the opposite of what's really true. Imagine how dangerous it really is to spend your life hovering next to a door that looks like a good door that really, when you open it, leads to the fires of hell. And you go, you know, I can't wait to open this door. As soon as I'm done, as soon as this life is over, I open this door and I get to go to heaven. You open that door and you find out it's the wrong door all along. That's what Satan's into, repositioning everything so that we choose poorly. In fact, who was here for the three weeks I talked about temptation? Who was here? Okay, wasn't that, isn't that what Satan was doing with Jesus? Trying to get him to doubt his own mission, right? Are you the son of God? What did he keep saying to him on the temptations? If you are the Son of God, then this ought to be true. If you're the Son of God, then this shouldn't be true. If, if, if. Get him to doubt it, then get him to doubt his mission. Get him to doubt who he is. Well, obviously, that if that would have worked, we'd all be doomed. But it didn't work. So now mission number two for Satan is to get you all, to get me, to get all of us to doubt who he is. To just get it a little bit confused. And gang, that's what a cult is. And I've noticed in our society that we're a lot easier on cults than we used to be. But listen, if somebody is leading you away from God into hell, how easy should we be on them? I, mean, I love my kids. If somebody's telling them to go somewhere and to follow someone and to do something that's going to get them hurt, that's not my friend. And yet we're easy on it. So let me step on some toes here because that's what I do. So we had the last election that came up. Stop, Pastor. That's politics. Don't go there. Let's just go for a few minutes. So Romney didn't win last time I checked, right? It's quiet in here, isn't it? 
So what was Romney's religion? Still is, I think. Mormonism. Never in my entire life have I heard Mormonism referred to more as part of Christianity than in the entire time Romney was running. Did you notice that? When did that change the truth of Mormonism? Never. Never, right? Mormons believe, let me just give you a couple things that to me are a deal breaker. And since you guys are sweating a lot and you're nervous because I'm talking politics, let me sit with you and we'll be nervous together. Mormonism teaches that we were all angels at one point and that we were put in a human body and that we can become gods. And in fact, when you see there's other planets populated out there that ran this same scenario. And here's how our planet and our scenario went. There were a bunch of children gods that were angelic, and they grew up to become the head gods, and two of them that were brothers fought over this planet. And those brothers are Lucifer and Jesus. Did you catch that? Those brothers are Lucifer and Jesus. That seems like a deal breaker to me, that Jesus and Satan are brothers. They're not even the same being. One is God, one is a creation. One's a creator, one's a creation. So that's not the real Jesus, is it? So what happens if you spend your whole life following that Jesus who has a brother named the devil? That's not a name. Name Lucifer. What happens? You follow him off a cliff, don't you? He leads you the wrong way. So is it kind of important to know who the real Jesus is? Especially if you love him and you want to tell others about him. Now, I know some of you aren't comfortable with this. Some of you are sitting there right now and going, I hope this is kind of the church that doesn't do that. I hope this is the kind of church that just live and let live and we'll all just try to get along. Okay? No, we can get along, but we'll get along with truth. Otherwise, that's going to be a deal breaker, at least for me. So you see, this is huge. This is huge. And this is why Luke is laying down a careful foundation with eyewitness accounts so we don't get this wrong. Let me give you sort of the Hollywood version of who Jesus is. And I'll let Sheryl Crow lead the way. Sheryl Crow said recently in a New York Post interview, I believe in God. Good so far. I believe in Jesus and Buddha and Muhammad. Oops. It's getting a little worse. And all those that were enlightened... I wouldn't say necessarily that I'm a strict Christian. I wouldn't say she's a Christian at all based on that. But I wouldn't say I'm a strict Christian. I'm not sure I believe in heaven. Sheryl Crow is where many people are today. Don't kid yourself. Many Americans, many, too many evangelical, claiming evangelical Americans are, where they believe in everything and nothing at the same time. That's what's huge today. I believe in everything and really nothing at the same time. Their believing is not based on the facts of God's unchanging Word. All right, so we're going to continue on in Luke 4. Let me give you a quick review of the last couple of weeks. What Jesus came to bring, His program of salvation, number one, includes all people groups. And this is what got Jesus in trouble back then and gets Him in trouble now. People think He's too exclusive. But He's inclusive. It includes all people groups, all economic groups, all political groups, everyone. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. The last time I checked, before you are saved, you are lost. That means Jesus came to seek and to save everyone. That means it's available to everyone. And the second thing we learned is it includes people with tremendous baggage. And the Jews and the religious leaders didn't like that either. He said, I came to seek and to save those who have a lot of sin in their past who have a very tainted past. And we talked about the example of the, past, the Apostle Paul who said, of all the sinners, I'm chief. I'm, I'm just a bad guy. But look at the forgiveness and grace and mercy. Gang, that's why I think, that's why I know God picked Paul. You ever wonder, people say he's the greatest Christian. 
Greatest Christian who ever lived, Paul. But he said about himself, I'm the chief of all sinners. I'm the worst possibly imagine because it shows God's grace. So it includes people with tremendous baggage. Now, some of you might like this the best. I know I do. It includes people still struggling with sin, which is everyone, unless you're lying. And then I'd say you struggle with lying. So you still struggle with sin. People who haven't conquered it, people who are not perfect, it includes them too. And gang, until you see Jesus face to face as a believer, you will not be perfect and sinless. So that includes you. All of this describes the unlikely recipients of God's grace, if they're willing. And so as Jesus came on the scene and people were waiting for the Messiah, everything he started to say right out of the gate kind of got a mixed reviews. His miracles and his teaching with authority got him sort of, as we talked about last week, kind of a rock star status. But then what he said, including everyone, that I love people that have sin in their past. I love people that even struggle now. That kind of got him mixed reviews. The religious leaders didn't like that because they wanted people to think they were perfect. So today what I want to do is zoom in on the other unexpected things that Jesus presented. The new life from God happens. Now, I touched on this one, so let me just say a few words about it. It will be non-political. This one seems like an easy one, but I think for us today, we need to hit it a little bit more because it's a hurdle I see a lot of people trip over. They don't quite get past this, but it's going to be non-political. So I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because some of you would do it. Uh, but if you're sitting here and you're a diehard Republican, that's, that's fine. But Jesus didn't come from Republicans. And some of you are going, I'm thinking about walking out, but I just don't want people to see me by myself. Anybody with me? Anybody? No. How about Democrats? We seem to care about the downtrodden more. We he didn't come for Democrats. I'm independent. He didn't come for you either. I'm a libertarian. Is that even real? What is that? He didn't come for you either. He's, it's non-political. It's non-political because the world will not be saved and will not be changed and completely transformed with politics. And people say, if we can get all these people in office and get all, all Republicans or all Democrats in office and have them in all the powerful positions, things will really change. No, they won't. They will not because I don't have the power to change. Change comes from within. So the first thing, it's non-political, but the second thing is it's from the inside out rather than from the outside in. Gang, this was scandalous back then. It was absolutely scandalous to say that. Because Jesus is saying, in fact, you can almost take everything you've learned about religion and let, let's just start over. Scrap it, put it aside, because here's the deal. It happens in the heart only. I have to change your heart, and then you'll start living out from the inside out just like me. You cannot do enough things on the outside by following rules and regulations or books or anything that could possibly change the heart. It won't move an inch. It will not change from things you do on the outside. It must change from the inside out. Now listen, this was scandalous in, in Jesus' day because this took religious leaders, this took people that gave their whole lives obeying the 613 rules, many of them made up and laughably ridiculous, and it just said, yeah, most of your life following the rule book only for the rule book's sake has been a waste of time. How many of you would love to hear that about your life? Hey, that's great. What do you do for a living? Well, I've been in this career for 50 years. Really, I heard that's a waste of time. Utterly meaningless. Doesn't change it. I mean, that kind of bother you, wouldn't it? And so it wasn't well received. Because listen, gang, up until that day and time, the mantra was the law, the law, the law. It's all about the law. And Jesus shows up and says, hey, 
you've read in the law that you shouldn't commit adultery. That's true, but I say if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. And the religious leaders got together and said, we don't like that. That's going too far because who can control their thoughts? That's horrible because up until that point, I'm not guilty. I haven't committed adultery. But when Jesus comes along and says, have you ever had an adulterous thought? And we're all guilty. And you could take a lot of things, cheating, lying, whatever. Or Jesus says to the Pharisees, you tithe well. I mean, who could miss it? You always blow trumpets off. You always announce it. You make sure everybody sees. So, yeah, I've seen that. You tithe well, but you neglect mercy and justice. Your external action, good. Your heart, horrible. And I can see your heart, and it's a mess. And I hate this one. It's hard. Not just love your neighbor, because I can love my neighbors. But not just love your neighbor, but love your enemies. Maybe you find that easy. I think that's hard. Love your neighbors? That's not bad. I got these neighbors, Heather and Andy. I live on 11 acres. They live on like 10. They're easy to love. I never see them. They're never home. On the occasion, I think once in like six years, I got a letter in my mailbox that was addressed for them. I mean, it's easy to, I mean, I can take that letter and steam it open, put a Christian track in it, walk it over to their house. I can do that. I wouldn't do that part of it. I mean, it's easy to do nice things or, you know, make sure that we're being a good neighbor, but, and I won't even mention people I struggle with, but love your enemies? I, I don't do so good with that. That's a little tougher. Don't ask me to love such and such. When I think about so-and-so, I think about praying for the power of Elijah instead to call fire down <laughs> from heaven, don't you? I think I know better. You know, God, they're a bad egg. You got six, seven billion people out there. Maybe you lost track of them. They're really bad. Give me the power to call them fire, and I will do it on their head and snuff them out. Then we'll just move on like nothing happened. It's harder to do that, harder. But Jesus says, you know what? That's easy to love your friends and your neighbors. You ought to love your enemy. And if you don't, you don't truly love. Wow. No rules, no book can change your heart enough to do that. And Jesus says, but I can, and that's my mission. And if you want to know how to do that, you've got to follow me in my way, and I'm the truth, my truth. That's the only truth there is. John 14, 6, he said that. Jesus said unto them, I am the way to heaven, the truth, because a lot of lies are going to be told about how to get to heaven, but I'm the truth, and the life. He's talking about eternal life. And in case you want to take an end around, he added, no one comes to the Father except through me. Now let's go back to the Mormon thing. That means when someone says, you can go through this Jesus, Jesus just said, no, you can't, except through me. Jehovah's Witnesses. I'll pick on another group right there. And I'm not trying to be mean and pick on groups just for the fun of it. It's not fun. Jehovah's Witnesses, they believe that Jesus used to be an angel as well. This is different. They know his name, Michael the Archangel. Jehovah's Witnesses says, say that he morphed into Jesus, that Jesus is a created being. He was created as Michael the archangel and then became Jesus. Never mind that the Bible still talks about Michael the archangel separately, including in Revelation and things he's going to do as two different people, but it's what they believe. Question, is that the same Jesus? Is that the same Jesus? No, you've got to get it right. You've got to get it right. 
If some of you came today, I'm assuming you came and you knew maybe I was going to be here if you've come here several weeks and you wanted to come and maybe hear me preach, um, you came to the right place. But I might not be the only pastor named Rob Singleton. In fact, I found one. There's another one in this country named Rob Singleton. What if you went to that church? It's not going to lead you to hell, hopefully, but if you came wanting to meet the people of impact and to know its mission and to for whatever reason, hear the way I preach, then you've got to come to this one. Not all churches have the same pastor. Not all Jesuses and ideas about Jesus are the same one. Now, gang, this isn't narrow-minded and cruel and prejudiced like critics label it when Jesus says, I'm the only way. It's the only joyful, healing, eternal cure there is. People look at it and go, I don't like it. It's ugly, and it's, and it's not what I would have done, and it's... it's very um, prejudiced, and it, it should be more all-inclusive, and I don't like it. It's not what I expected. Tough. It's the truth. You know, I imagine when people are sick and dying of, of, of tremendous diseases, and, and somebody is discovering moldy bread you know, way back in the early 1900s. Is anybody attracted to mold in here before I offend you? Does anybody just really like Okay, good. To me, mold is smelly and ugly and gross, but from it we also get penicillin, which is healing and has really helped us to develop antibiotics and cure a lot of things. There's not a lot of people that, that would look at mold and think that, right? If you don't, you die from a lot of diseases. And there's not a lot of people that looked at Jesus and could see Him for what He was really offering and who He really is, but if you don't, you die. You have to know the real Jesus. We have to lay this foundation down in Luke because part of our mission and part of what we're called to do at Impact Church is to bring the good news of the gospel to a lost and dying world. How are you going to do that if you're not clear on it yourself? So, all are invited. It's all inclusive. And the only way you'd possibly miss this is by being so arrogant and self-focused as to not accept it. It's what happened with the Pharisees. Jesus said, I came to seek sinners. I came to seek and save those who have baggage. I came to seek and save those who struggle with things right now. If the Pharisees would have really had the right heart and really wanted to embrace their Messiah, they could have looked at their own life and said, that's me, right? Can you think of anything that would make you not look at yourself and say, that's me? Pride, right? When you look at yourself and say, that's not me. That's not me at all. You just didn't describe me. I don't, I don't struggle with sin. I don't struggle with anything. I'm a really good guy. Most people are underneath me spiritually. They're not even on an equal footing. And if you think that way, it's almost like the rich man. And it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God than a camel to go through the eye of a needle. That's what Jesus is talking about here. So, chapter 4, verses 33 through 34. Let's zoom in here. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. This happened a lot in Jesus' day. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. That fascinates me. Did you know most times when Jesus cast out demons, and he did it everywhere he went, he did this a lot, that when he spoke to the demons, or even before he spoke to them, there's that kind of interchange? Did you know that? Did you catch that? They hate him. Why would they announce this? Why would the demon do that? He, says, he hates him, but he's crying and going, I know who you are. I... Catch this. From where? 
How do, how do you know who that is? Are demons older than you? Are they older than me? Careful. They're old. Where do they come from? What were they before they were demons? This is not that hard. What were they? They were angels. They rebelled. So they know Him as the Holy One of God. Sometimes they'll cry out and say, you're the Son of God, the living God. Demons will say that. I know you. I recognize you. From where? From heaven. They were in God's presence. So let me tell you something. They, they have far greater faith than you and I do. They have far greater faith than Billy Graham. They really do because they were there. It doesn't even take much faith. They know Him. They recognize Him from heaven. You're the one I rebelled against. We chose the wrong team. I know you. I recognize you. Are demons going to be in heaven? No. See, because they know exactly who He is, but they've chosen not to trust or love Him, but to rebel against Him. So you've got to understand who He really is, what He came to do, and then you need to embrace Him. Hopefully now you're beginning to see how important this is. You know, it's amazing talking about things that are good for us, that, really, that we think are good for us, that really do the greatest harm. It's kind of like following the FDA recommendations for good health. These are the same people who came up with this, the following. Do you remember for about a decade how the FDA said, don't eat butter, eat margarine instead? You guys remember that? <laughs> Margarine's like poison in a cube. If margarine didn't have any food color in it, do you know what color it would be? Gray. Gray. How many of you would rush to put gray margarine on your bread? They have to inject it with dye and coloring just to get it to look halfway well, I was going to say normal, but no, it looks foreign to me. It's not, it's not good for you either. They're the same ones that told us for so long how wheat is good for us, you know, processed wheat, even whole wheat. It's not. We're finding out now that it's not. They're the ones that said, you want to lose weight? Diet soda is good for you. Well, diet soda doesn't have a lot of calories, but it does have aspartame. You might as well drink anthrax. It's not good for you. It kills you. Donuts, Krispy Kreme lovers, yum. Yum. Hold that thought. I mean, we know, we, we, we still eat them, but we know how bad they are for us. We know that basically 90% sugar. You can take several teaspoons of sugar and just gun it into your mouth. That's the equivalent of eating one Krispy Kreme donut. Now, they didn't tell us that was good for us. We tell us that's good because it tastes good. It tastes good. It tastes good. It must be good. We're just finding out some other depressing things, like how about non-organic fruits? This is depressing. You can get a nice, colorful, big, red, juicy apple, and it can be bad with you because no other fruit is sprayed more for pesticides than apples. Did you know that? Some of you are like, I thought this was church. Is this a Whole Foods seminar? I'm married to Michelle. This is my outlet. She's not here today, so I'm getting to, to do all this. And, and if you eat it, it's actually worse for you with all the pesticides that are still on it than if you just get organic Regular old apples, kind of the way God made them before we started altering them. Now, let's say you learn all this and so you switch to healthy foods. Guess what's likely to happen when you switch to a healthier diet? Your body will feel like it's rejecting it on many levels. First of all, taste, right? Am I right? How many of you switch to a shake diet or a healthy diet or, or organic food and whole... 
and you just said, mm, mm. And that was your first reaction. I mean, I would have done this long ago if I knew how great it tastes. Now, nobody does that. I mean, you've got to get used to it. So the first, the first rejection is taste. This can't be good. This tastes so plain. The second thing, believe it or not, is did you know it'll cause a lot of stomach aches for a while? For a lot of people, when they switch to a healthy diet, they have stomach aches and gas, not to get gross, but it just happens a lot. It's like your body's been living off this for so long, it's rejecting it in every way possible. But eventually, these minor irritations will give away to better health. And so Jesus came and he said, I've got the truth for you. You've been waiting a long time, and, and I want you to know something. When I give it to you, there's going to be some minor irritations that you better get over. It's going to feel weird. It's going to taste wrong. It's going to look wrong. But if you don't accept this, what you're putting in your mind and your spirit and your soul right now is killing you. It's slowly killing you. You can't even feel it anymore. So you'll have to get over this little hurdle. But it is the truth. And I'm sure you've heard this saying, if you're taking notes, it's number three. Truth hurts. Truth hurts. I found that to be true only about half the time. I'd refine it for accuracy. It turns out that only the truth that tells us something we don't like about ourselves hurts. Right? What if you won the lottery and somebody else claimed they won and then they told you the truth that it was really you? Did that hurt? No. Truth is you won, Pastor Rob, a million dollars. Sorry. That truth doesn't hurt. I will take that because it's something good. So really when we say truth hurts, not really. The truth that hurts is the truth that's unexpected, is the truth that tells you something you don't believe about yourself or that you don't want to believe about yourself. It's the truth that causes a change, that causes you to shift. That can hurt. Tell someone the truth that makes them feel good, and everything's great. Look at the following, Luke 4, 25 through 29. So we're skipping back up a little ways. But in truth, Jesus said, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land and Elijah was sent to none of them, only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow and not a Jew either. And, and before they stoned him, he said, no, no, wait, I got more. There were many lepers. It was an epidemic in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha. So you got Elijah and Elisha. And none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian. He got cleansed. And when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of a hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him off the cliff. My question to you is why? Why? He just told them the truth. And they could read about it or hear about it in the temple from their rabbis themselves. And doubtless, they'd heard it many times. They knew that in the day of Elijah, he only went to one widow, right? They knew that. And they knew that in the, when all those lepers was an epidemic in the, in the days of Naaman, they knew that the prophet only went to Naaman. They knew that. It wasn't news. It wasn't like Jesus discovered an unread book and said, here's another gospel I found from the Old Testament that I want to just give you and it should be. In. No, it was right there for the reading. They had it. They knew it. But it was the truth that at that point affected how they felt about themselves and would mean immediate change, and it would mean the way they perceived the Messiah and the way they thought He would come is all wrong. We have an amazingly hard time admitting when we're wrong. Truth was, God's chosen people were picked, chosen, selected, elected. Call it what you want. For what? Were they picked because Jesus looked down and he said, you know what, I created all these different races of people. 
the Jewish men are more handsome and the Jewish women are more beautiful and they're smart and they're better athletes. I'm picking them. Do we really think anything like that went on at all? Did Jesus come down before there were any Jews and look at the father of the Jews, Abraham, and go, man, he's really got his act together. He's a good guy. If I just gave him a little push, he'd be really godly. He was a complete pagan worshiping false gods. It had nothing to do with God at all. He just said, I'm going to display my grace and my mercy through him. And I'm going to raise up a people group who doesn't deserve it. In fact, maybe the opposite could be true. <laughs> let me set up a people group who in no way even looks like they deserve it. And let me show my glory most through them. Isn't that what he does with you and I? I think Impact is going to be a fantastic church when it launches. And one of the reasons you may not like, but I, I'm okay with it, because we're filled with ordinary people that know what, that we're, we're ordinary people. We know that God is God and we're not. But when you start there, God can do extraordinary things through ordinary people, can't he? I mean, we're not a group of hotshots who go, you know what, pastor, look around, got the cream of the crop here, huh? Especially me, I don't know if you noticed, spend more time looking at me, look at where, I've really got, I've got a lot of gifts, got a lot of talents. No, we're ordinary people. In some cases, we may be people with a lot of baggage. In some cases, we may be people still struggling with things that we want to conquer so bad. And God looks at that group and goes, that group's more likely to let go of themselves and let me work. I'm looking for that kind of group. This is really good news, but it wasn't good news for the Jews. They didn't want to be told that they were just the same as everybody else. So I'm going to ask you again. You didn't answer it the first time. God's chosen people were picked, chosen, selected, elected for what then? If it's not on any merit of themselves, to do what? For what? For what reason? They had a mission. They had a job. And they had completely lost track of the job. And they were horrible at it. And they almost never did it. Their job was to be a light on a hill, a city on a hill, Jerusalem, a solution, an answer, a hope for the rest of the world, that God loved them. They were to give the rest of the nations, the rest of the world, the good news about God. And they almost never did it. Why? Now watch this. They almost never did it because they thought they were picked on their own merit. So why bother telling the rest of the world they're not worth it? God picked us because we're worth it. Do you see what the wrong kind of thinking about God's mission does to your head? A lot of you have never witnessed. I don't, I'm, I'm not picking on anybody in particular. I have nobody in my mind, but you know who you are. A lot of you have never told another person about Jesus Christ. Why? I'm going to challenge you for what one reason it may be, and you're not going to like it. Somebody told you, if you're truly a believer, and you embrace that news, and you ask for forgiveness for your sins, and you invited Christ into your life, and you received His free gift of, uh, of salvation. But somewhere along the line, you started believing that that person came to you, and Jesus came to you because He recognized your worth, and because it helps His kingdom helping you, having you on the team. Makes God look a little better. Maybe it's not that blatant. But otherwise, why would you not tell others about this good news? If you realize that you were really down and out, really a sinner, in no way deserved His grace and mercy, and you're adopted as a son and daughter of the living God when you had no hope of that, wouldn't you go, this is the most fantastic news in the world. I can't wait to tell others. Wouldn't that be the natural reaction? So you've got to ask yourself, 
why don't I do that? Why don't I do that? I, I always pick on my son because he sits in the front row, but one thing about Nathan is I think he won about 11 people, told about 11 people about Jesus and prayed with them beginning at the age of five. And by the time he was 10 or 11 years old, he'd already won more people to Christ than most believers I know, most adults. Why? Was he an arrogant little child who thought he was a prodigy? <laughs> no. You know what it was? He was a little kid who found the joy of Christ and loved what Jesus did for him. I, I think that's it. I think that's it. And he couldn't wait to tell others, and that's still there. Listen, gang, if that's not in you at all, you should be worried. You should be concerned. If you look at lost people and, and don't really, really care about where they're ending up, it really doesn't bother you, you should check that in your spirit. Something's gone wrong. That's truth we don't want to hear, but that's truth we need to hear. You know, I once worked at a place where it was really pop Xerox in California, Los Angeles. It was really possible to coast. I had the number one sales team in the country, and a lot of people were really doing great. So you could be on that sales team, and you could kind of coast. You could go to the movies and play golf all day. They really wouldn't know. And often a couple of these guys on the sales team, that's exactly what they did. Then, get this, when they were let go, several fairly normal but highly bizarre things, if you really look back on it, took place. Number one, they were given unemployment money for doing nothing. How's that different than when they were employed? Given money for doing nothing. And now I know, I understand unemployment is often justified. In this case, it certainly wasn't. So I found it bizarre. Number two, they filed lawsuits. Filed lawsuits. For what? Being caught? Next, they got angry with former employers and started a slandering campaign about being let go. When everybody knew they didn't do their job, they didn't do anything. What kind of mindset could twist the truth into that? And does that make you angry when you hear that? It made me angry. It should bother you. But listen, it's been going on for thousands of years. When God's people stopped going to temple worship over and over and over again in the Old Testament, and stopped sacrificing and stopped attending Passover and other religious festivals they were commanded to be a part of, and God didn't immediately terminate them, and st instead He still showed them grace and mercy, and they enjoyed God's favor for doing nothing. They didn't thank Him and praise Him for that. They didn't win Him back. When God finally made it plain that the responsibility for being a light on a hill to all nations would be taken from them and given to someone else, the Gentiles... They took God to court in six mock trials and had Him crucified. You're not going to take that away from me. That's mine. I'm the chosen. Took Him to court, put Him on a cross. It's not the way this is supposed to go. All He did was tell Him the truth. You will lose your privilege. It will be given to another group. Finally, they got so bitter and blinded, they started a 2,000-year slandering campaign that continues to this day. So this pattern's not really new with human sinful nature. All right, so we're building a foundation, gang. 
going to continue to do this probably through, like I said, probably through chapters about eight or nine. It'll be solid and it'll be strong so that you can begin to understand and get excited and passionate about what Jesus is calling you to do and us to do as a church. So let me give you a little application you can do this week immediately. Kind of the so what of our message. Number one thing I want you to determine this week, are you a part of God's team? We talk about this a lot, but this is kind of important. Are you a part of God's team? Do you even know the real Jesus? Have you asked for forgiveness of your sins? Have you invited Him into your heart? Are you a son and daughter of the living God? Next, if you are, are you doing your job? Are you doing your job? Or do you coast on other people? Three, do you really know your employer? I kind of said this is number one, but let's say it again. Do you really know your employer, the Son of God? Let's say you do know your employer. Let's say you are kind of going through the motions and, and sort of doing your job, and yet you don't feel close to God. So my, there's two more questions left. My next one would be, are you angry with God then? Maybe there's some truth you're learning about yourself, and you're angry with God because He's not what you wanted Him to be. Is that possible? Or He's telling you some things about yourself because He loves you and you don't like it. So, are you angry with God? Maybe you didn't realize it. And, and last, have you slandered Him with your life? Or are you slandering Him with your life? Well, what does that look like? It looks like any Christian who talks but does not walk. You're basically slandering Him with your life at that point. Give you a couple quick things about how this ends here. Verses 36 through 37, and they were all amazed and said to one another, what's this word for with what authority and power he commands the unclean spirits? And they come out and reports about him went out to every place in the surrounding region. Rock star status. Hugely popular. Skip down to verse 42. And it was day he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Man, when we think of Jesus' purpose for coming, most of us think He came to save me because I'm worth it. We may not say it, but we think that. Most of us stop with that, saving all the wonderful and worthy sinners. But these verses simplify it even more. Jesus came to preach the good news of the kingdom of God to all people everywhere. That's His mission. I love this, and I, and I knew when I came to the end of this that there were still going to be people that walk out of here a little bit foggy on this, so I want you to look at it this way. This whole idea of what happens if you follow some ideas about Jesus that are a little bit off. It's not quite the right thing. So maybe if I put it in this perspective, it'll help a little bit more. What if you were in dire trouble? I mean, your life depended on it. You're in that kind of trouble, and you knew it. And you also heard about somebody that could help you. You're in trouble with uh, some people that want to kill you, whatever and this person that can help you is someone that you've never met, but a quote-unquote friend of yours has told you that he can help you. Go to this place on the corner of Fifth and Main or whatever and wait for him. Let me describe him. Here's what he looks like, okay? The only problem is you find out that your friends never met him either. He got this person described to him by another friend who's never met him either, who got it described to him by another friend who's also never met him. As a result, you meet the wrong person at the wrong place and remain in your dire predicament. 
following the wrong place, the wrong person to the wrong end. That's what happens, gang, when we, like Sheryl Crow, don't think knowing the real Jesus is all that important. Christ follower, it's your job to tell others the good news. Not just my job as pastor. Your job, too. Two things you can't do in heaven, sin and evangelize. And you hear me ask this a lot. So which one do you think God left you here to do? It's not just my job. It's your job, too. To introduce the world to the real Jesus, a world that for the most part doesn't have a clue. Take a look. Who do you say Jesus was? I have no idea. Who was Jesus? Gosh, I have to start with I'm not sure. Who was Jesus to you? Some guy. Actually, I don't believe in Jesus. Not really sure exactly who Jesus was. I think Jesus was uh, was a was kind of a cool guy back in his day. Who was Jesus to you? <laughs> I think I'm done. I don't like to talk about it. I'm a spiritual person, but I'm not religious. Who do you think Jesus was or is? Uh, Jesus was a historical figure. I believe that Jesus Christ was a man who had an extraordinary ability to link in with the Creator. I think he was uh, definitely someone that people, you know, a good role model. I, I do think he had a lot of great ideas. More or less, he was just a prophet, which is just a messenger of God. Sort of a revolutionary in his day. Jesus was an amazing man. I don't believe he's God's son. I just believe he's a person. As to his, like, godlike quality, I'm not totally sold on that. You think he was a prophet? And I would, see, I'd have to be Christian to really believe that. Jesus was the Messiah for some people, and for some people he wasn't. I'm not necessarily sure if Jesus was the Messiah or a prophet, but in either case, he was somebody that spoke the word of God. He was equal portions of, of human and, uh, and that energy that is God. People said he was sent by God. Well, no one, God doesn't send him down. You don't go on up. <laughs> I mean, you he linked in. I mean, I do believe in Jesus in the sense of like, yeah, I believe in Jesus. That I'm, I'm not saying that he, he didn't exist or anything of the sort, but the fact that, um, I mean, I necessarily don't go and uh, pray to Jesus. Who was Jesus? Uh, Jesus is the son of God. Jesus was the son of God. I believe Jesus is the son of God who came to save us all from our sins. Jesus was a savior. Who died for our sins and cleaned us, made us pure enough to enter God's glory. The, um, only way you can get to heaven. Who do you think Jesus is? Um, who do I think he is? I, I don't think it's who he was. I think he still is Jesus, so he's not gone or anything, you know. I guess in body technically he is, but he's still here. The Jesus story sort of borders on history and myth for me, um, but I don't believe that it could have permeated our culture so fully and for so long if there was nothing to that. Let me tell you, gang, Jesus came to seek and to save those people. We live in a very confused world. They don't know who He was. They don't know who He is. And what's more, I don't think there's ever been a more biblically illiterate time in our country where many Christians, professing Christians, don't know who He is answering biblical questions so frighteningly 
uninformed that you have to wonder if they know Him. So throughout the weeks in this series is why we chose Luke of all the Gospels. I once spoke on, on John 2, which is also another good one to read with Luke, and I called it divine. And the reason it's good is because the whole Gospel of John is written to prove that He is the Son of God. It'd be a good one to read alongside this. So hang with us, gang, as we build this foundation that must be there. And so hopefully my, my goal is that you all will get passionate about our grand opening coming up, passionate about reaching people, passionate about filling God's house so we can give them the truth about the mission Jesus came to do. Would you bow your heads? Father, thank you for this group, Lord. Thank you for these brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord. They look around and you'd have to be blind not to see that there are tons and tons of churches in the Bible Belt, in a place where many would call the buckle of the Bible Belt. Very religious, Lord. And so many things said about Jesus and so many things, Lord, said about you that are not true, that are not you at all. So many churches teaching things that lead people astray. God, I don't believe that you came to bring, to raise up buildings where people gather and hear interesting facts, Lord. Your church is alive. Your church is supposed to be a movement, and your church is supposed to impact a lost and dying world. And God, so we have no desire to raise up simply one more church to be religious, Lord. We want to raise up a movement of people. It doesn't matter where we meet or what the building looks like, Lord. It matters what we do and who we know. So, Father, help us to get to know you richly and deeply and to be so filled with your presence that others can see it, and then we may speak and point them to you. For it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us. See you next week.